0: Mr. Chief Justice, to the distinguished members of the Senate, uh, Council, to the President, all those who are assembled here today. Uh, Earlier this morning, I was on my way to the office and I ran into a fellow New Yorker who just happens to work here in Washington, D.C. And he said to me, Congressman, Have you heard the latest outrage? And I wasn't really sure what he was talking about, so to be honest, I I thought to myself, well, the president is now back in town. What has Donald Trump done now? And so I said to him, what outrage are you talking about? And he paused for a moment, and then he said to me, someone voted against Derek Jeter on his Hall of Fame ballot. Life is all about perspective. And I understand that as house managers, certainly we hope we can subpoena John Bolton, subpoena Mick Mulvaney, But perhaps we can all agree to subpoena the Baseball Hall of Fame, to try to figure out who out of 397 individuals, one person voted against Derek Jeter. I was thinking about that as I prepared to rise today. Because what's more American than baseball and apple pie? What's more American than baseball and apple pie? Or perhaps the one thing that falls into that category is the sanctity and continuity of the United States Constitution. And House managers, we're here in this august body because we believe it's necessary to defend our democracy. Some of you may agree with us at the end of the day, and others most likely will not. But we do want to thank you for your courtesy and for your patience in extending to us the opportunity to present our case with dignity to you and to the American people during this solemn constitutional moment. I want to speak for just some time on the second official act that President Trump used to corruptly abuse his power, which was the withholding of an Oval Office meeting with the President of Ukraine. As discussed yesterday, quid pro quo is a Latin term, this for that. President Trump refused to schedule that Oval Office meeting until the Ukrainian leader announced the phony political investigations that he demanded on July 25th. He knew President Zelensky needed the meeting to bolster his standing. He knew that Ukraine is a fragile democracy. He knew that Mr. Zelensky needed the meeting to show Vladimir Putin that he had the support of Donald Trump. But President Trump exploited that desperation for his own political benefit. This for that. Did a quid pro quo exist? The answer is yes. Let's listen to Ambassador Sondland on this point.
1: I know that members of this committee frequently frame these complicated issues in the form of a simple question. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes.
0: Did President Trump abuse his power and commit an impeachable offense? The answer is yes. The phony political investigations that President Trump demanded from Ukraine were part of a scheme to sabotage a political rival, Joe Biden, and cheat in the 2020 election. No national interest was served. The president used his awesome power to help himself and not the American people, he must be held accountable. The president's defenders may argue, as Mick Mulvaney tried to do, that quid pro quo arrangements are a common aspect of US foreign policy nonsense. There are situations where official United States acts, like head of state meetings or the provision of foreign assistance, are used to advance the national interests of the United States. That is not what happened here. Here, President Trump sought to advance his own personal political interests, facilitated by Rudolph Giuliani, the human hand grenade. Let's walk through the overwhelming evidence of how President Trump withheld an official White House meeting that was vitally important to Ukraine as part of a corrupt scheme to convince President Zelensky to announce two phony political investigations. First, the Oval Office meeting President Trump corruptly withheld constitutes an official act. President Trump chose to withhold this meeting for a reason. It was not some run of the mill meeting, it was one of the most powerful tools he could wield in his role as a leader of the free world. It would have demonstrated US support for Ukraine's newly elected leader at a critical time. Ukraine is under relentless attack by Russian-backed separatists in Crimea and in the East. Ukraine desperately needed an Oval Office meeting and President Trump knew it. Second, President Trump withheld that Oval Office meeting to increase pressure on Ukraine to assist his re-election campaign by announcing two phony investigations, as my colleagues have detailed extensively throughout the day. This is a classic quid pro quo. Third, multiple administration officials including the president's own hand-picked supporters and appointees confirmed that a corrupt exchange was being sought. Finally, contemporaneous documentation makes clear that the president corruptly abused his power to advance this scheme, to try and cheat in the 2020 election. This For that. Let's explore whether the granting or denial of an official Oval Office meeting constitutes an official act. As we discussed earlier today, an abuse of power occurs when the president exercises his official power to obtain a corrupt personal benefit while ignoring or injuring the national interest. Pursuant to the Constitution and more than 200 years of tradition, as president, Donald Trump is America's head of state and chief diplomat. Article two grants the president wide latitude to conduct diplomacy and specifically receive ambassadors and other public ministers. The president decides which head of state meetings best advance the national interests and which foreign leaders are deserving of an official reception in the Oval Office. Perhaps one of the most prestigious non-religious venues in the world. In diplomacy, perception matters. Meetings between heads of state are make or break moments that can determine the trajectory of global events. And a meeting with the President of the United States in the Oval Office is unquestionably monumental, particularly for a fragile democracy like Ukraine. The Oval Office is where foreign leaders facing challenges at home, like a war with Russia, go in pursuit of a strong and public demonstration of American support. That is especially true in this particular case. The decision to grant or withhold an Oval Office meeting to President Zelensky had profound consequences for the national security interests of both Ukraine and the United States. To understand the full context of President Trump's corrupt demands to the Ukrainian leader, it's important to consider the geopolitical context that all of you are very familiar with confronting the American, the Ukrainian people. Ukraine is at war with Russia. In 2014, Russia annexed Crimea by force. The United States and other European countries rallied to Ukraine's defense, providing economic assistance, diplomatic support, and later, with strong advocacy from this body, lethal aid. This support meant Russia faced consequences for its aggression. Here is Ambassador Yovanovitch's testimony explaining just how important the United States is to Ukraine.
1: The US uh, relationship for Ukraine is the single most important relationship. And so I think that um, President Zelensky, any president, would, um, you know, do what they could to, um, you know, lean in on a favor request. I'm not saying that that's a yes. I'm saying they would try to lean in and see what they could do.
2: Fair to say that a president of Ukraine that is so dependent on the United States would do just about anything within his power to please the president of the United States, if he could?
1: You know, if he could. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are limits, uh, and I understand there were a lot of discussions in the Ukrainian government about all of this. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, we are an important relationship on the security side and on the political side. And so the president of Ukraine, uh, one of the most important functions that individual has is to make sure the relationship with the U.S. is rock solid.
0: But it isn't just the relationship itself. It was a public meeting in the White House that would show U.S. support for Ukraine. A meeting with the President of the United States in the Oval Office is one of the most forceful diplomatic signals of support that the United States can send. Veteran diplomat George Kent testified to this.
3: New
1: leaders, particularly countries that uh, are trying to uh, have good footing in the international arena, uh, see a meeting with the U.S. President in the Oval Office at the White House as as the ultimate sign of endorsement and support from the United States.
0: President Zelensky was a newly elected leader. He was swept into office on a pledge to end pervasive corruption. He also had a mandate to negotiate an end to the war with Russia. To achieve both goals, he needed strong U.S. support, particularly from President Trump, which Zelensky sought in the form of a White House meeting. David Holmes, political counselor to the embassy in Kyiv, described the particular importance of a White House visit to Ukraine in the context of its war with Russia.
3: It is important to understand that a White House visit was critical to President Zelensky. President Zelensky needed to show US support at the highest levels in order to demonstrate to Russian President Putin that he had US backing, as well as to advance his ambitious anti-corruption reform agenda at home.
0: In other words, Ukraine knew That Russia was watching carefully. That was particularly true in the spring of 2019 when Donald Trump launched the scheme at the center of the abuse of power charge. During this time period Vladimir Putin was preparing for peace negotiations with the new Ukrainian leader. Putin could choose to escalate or he could choose to de-escalate Russian aggression. And influencing his decision was an assessment of whether President Trump had Ukraine's back. The Russians, as I said at my deposition, would love to see the humiliation of President Zelensky at the hands of the Americans. An Oval Office meeting would have sent a strong signal of support that President Trump had Ukraine's back. The absence of such a meeting could be devastating. Indeed, Ukraine made very clear to the United States just how important a White House meeting between the two heads of state was for its fragile democracy. At the deposition, as the one on the screen reveals, of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman, the director for Ukraine on the National Security Council, he recalled that following President Zelensky's inauguration, at every single meeting with Ukrainian officials, they asked their American counterparts about the status of an Oval Office meeting between the two presidents. Initially, the Ukrainians had reason to be optimistic that a White House meeting would be promptly scheduled. On April 21st, during President Zelensky's first call with President Trump, the new Ukrainian leader asked about a White House visit three times As part of that brief congratulatory call, President Trump himself did extend an invitation. Ukraine's dependence on the United States and its desperate need for a White House meeting created an unequal power dynamic between the two presidents. As Lieutenant Colonel Vindman testified, it is that unequal power dynamic that turn any subsequent request for a favor from the president into a demand.
1: Now, Colonel, you, um, you've described this as a demand, this favor that the president asked. Um, what is it about the relationship between the president of the United States and the president of Ukraine that leads you to conclude that when the president of the United States asks a favor like this, it's really a
4: demand? Chairman, uh, the culture I come from, the, the military culture, um, when a senior asks you to do something, even if it's polite and pleasant, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not to be taken as a request, it's, be, it's to be taken as an order. Uh, in this case, the power disparity between the two leaders, uh, my impression is that in order to get the White House meeting, uh, President Zelensky would have to deliver these investigations.
0: Ambassador Gordon Sondland, Trump appointee also acknowledged the importance of this power disparity and how it made President Zelensky eager to satisfy President Trump's wishes.
2: Holmes then said that he heard President Trump ask, quote, is he, meaning Zelensky, going to do the investigation? To which you replied, he's gonna do it and then you added that President Zelensky will do anything that you, meaning President Trump, ask him to. Do you recall that?
1: I probably said something to that effect because I remember the meeting uh, the President, or President Zelensky was very um, uh, solicitous is not a good word, he was just very willing to work with the United States and was being very amicable and so putting it in Trump speak Uh, by saying he loves your ass, he'll do whatever you want, meant that he would really work with us on a whole host of issues.
2: He was not only willing, he was very eager, right? That's fair. Because Ukraine depends on the United States as its most significant ally. Isn't that correct? One of its most, absolutely.
0: In other words, any request President Trump made to Ukraine would be difficult to refuse. So when President Trump asked Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden as well as the wild conspiracy theory about the 2016 election, those were absolutely interpreted by President Zelensky and his staff as a demand. And that is where the White House meeting enters into the equation. When Ukraine did not immediately cave to Rudy Giuliani in the spring and announced the phony investigations, President Trump ratcheted up the pressure. As leverage, he chose the White House meeting he dangled during his April 21st call precisely because President Trump knew how important the meeting was to Ukraine. Following their visit, to Kiev, for the new Ukrainian leader's inauguration, Ambassador Sondland, Ambassador Volker, and Secretary Perry met with President Trump, and each of them encouraged the president to schedule the meeting. Here is what Ambassador Sondland had to say.
1: We advised the president of the strategic importance of Ukraine and the value of strengthening the relationship with President Zelensky. To support this reformer, we asked the White House for two things. First, a working phone call between Presidents Trump and Zelensky, and second, a working Oval Office visit. In our view, both were vital to cementing the U.S.-Ukraine relationship, demonstrating support for Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression and advancing broader U.S. foreign policy
0: interests. So even though this meeting was critical to both Ukraine and America, President Trump ignored all of his policy advisors and expressed reluctance to meet with the new Ukrainian president. He refused to schedule an actual date. He claimed that Ukraine tried to take me down in 2016 and directed that the three US officials, quote, talk to Rudy. And even though on May 29th, the president signed a letter reiterating his earlier invitation for President Zelensky to visit the White House, he still did not specify a date. But then, President Trump went further. He met with Ukraine's adversary, Ukraine's enemy, our enemy. President Trump met with Russia. This didn't go unnoticed. Ukrainian officials became concerned when President Trump scheduled that face-to-face meeting with Vladimir Putin at the G20 summit in Japan on June 28th. Mr. Holmes testified on this particular point and the troubling signal that meeting sent to our friend, to our ally, Ukraine.
3: Also on June 28th, while President Trump was still not moving forward on a meeting with President Zelensky, He met with Russian President Putin at the G20 summit in Osaka, Japan, sending a further signal of lack of support to
0: Ukraine. Now let's discuss how exactly President Trump used the withholding of the White House meeting to pressure Ukraine for his phony investigations, his quid pro quo scheme. It's important to understand that the pressure exerted on Ukraine by delaying the White House meeting didn't just occur right before the July 25th call. That pressure existed during the entire scheme, and it continues to this day. We know this from the efforts of administration officials to secure the meeting, and from the Ukrainians continuously trying to lock down a date. For example, even after President Trump expressed reluctance about Ukraine on May 23rd. His administration officials continued working to secure a White House meeting. On July 10th, for instance, they raised it again when Mr. Yermark and Ukraine's national security advisor met with John Bolton at the White House.
1: And then we knew that the Ukrainians would have on their agenda, inevitably, the question about a meeting. And so, as we get through the main discussion, we're going into that wrap-up phase. The Ukrainians, uh, Mr. Daniluk, starts to ask about a White House meeting, and Ambassador Bolton was trying to parry this back.
0: As you've seen, President Zelensky didn't just raise the Oval Office meeting on his April 21st call. He raised the meeting on July 21st, fifth call with President Trump again. President Zelensky said on the July 25th call, I also wanted to thank you for your invitation to visit the United States, specifically Washington, D.C. After the July 25th call, the Ukrainians continued to press for the meeting, but that meeting never happened. Only on September 25th, after the House announced its investigation into the President's misconduct as it relates to Ukraine, and the existence of a whistleblower complaint became public, did President Trump and President Zelensky meet face to face for the first time? That meeting was on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly in New York. It was dominated by public release of the July 25th call record that had occurred the day before. It was a far cry from the strong demonstration of support that would have been achieved by an Oval Office meeting. Even President Zelensky recognized that a face-to-face talk on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly was not the same as an official Oval Office meeting. Sitting next to President Trump in New York, he again raised a White House meeting. Here is what President Zelensky said.
2: And I, I want to thank you for uh, invitation to uh, Washington. Yeah. You invited me. But I think, I'm sorry, I'm sorry but, but I think you forgot to tell me the date. <laughs> <laughs> but I think in the near future.
0: President Trump was not just withholding a small thing. The Oval Office meeting was a big deal. Ukraine remains at war with Russia. It desperately needs our support. And as a result, the pressure on Ukraine not to upset President Trump who still refuses to meet with President Zelensky in the Oval Office to this day, continues. David Holmes testified that the Ukrainian government wants an Oval Office meeting even after the release of the security assistance, and that our own United States national security objectives would also benefit from such a meeting.
3: Although the hold on the security assistance may have been lifted, there were still things they wanted that they weren't getting, including a meeting with the president in the Oval Office. Um, whether the hold, uh, the security assistance hold continued or not, Ukrainians understood that that's something the president wanted, and they still wanted important things from the president. Um, So I think that continues to this day. I think they're being very careful. They still need us uh, now, going forward. In fact, right now, President Zelensky is trying to arrange a summit meeting with President Putin uh, in the coming weeks to his first face-to-face meeting with him to try to advance the peace process. Um, He needs our support. He needs needs, uh, President Putin to understand that America supports Zelensky at the highest levels. Um, So this is this is this doesn't end with the lifting of the security assistance hold. Um, Ukraine still needs us. and, And as I said, still fighting this war this very day.
0: Now. Let's evaluate how exactly President Trump made clear to Ukraine that a White House meeting was conditioned on Ukraine announcing two phony political investigations that would help with President Trump's reelection in 2020. Help him cheat and corrupt our democracy. By the end of May, it was clear that President Trump's pressure campaign to solicit foreign election interference wasn't working. President Zelensky had been elected and was rebuffing Mr. Giuliani's overtures. Even when President Trump directed his official staff to work with Mr. Giuliani in an effort to get President Zelensky to announce the two phony political investigations, that didn't work. So President Trump apparently realized that he had to increase the pressure. That's when he explicitly made clear to Ukraine that it would not get the desperately sought after Oval Office meeting, unless President Zelensky publicly announced the phony investigations that President Trump sought. On July 2nd, 2019, Ambassador Volker personally communicated the need for investigations directly to President Zelensky during a meeting in Toronto. After weeks of reassuring the Ukrainians
4: that it was just a scheduling issue, I decided to tell President Zelensky that we had a problem with the information reaching President Trump from Mayor Giuliani. I did so in a bilateral meeting at a conference on Ukrainian economic reform in Toronto on July 2nd, 2019, where I led the US delegation. I suggested that he call President Trump directly in order to renew their personal relationship and to assure President Trump that he was committed to investigating and fighting corruption, things on which President Zelensky had based his presidential campaign. I was convinced that getting the two presidents to talk with each other would overcome the negative perception of Ukraine that President Trump still harbored.
0: After Ambassador Volker instructed President Zelensky in Toronto on what to do, he updated Ambassador Taylor on his actions. He told Ambassador Taylor that he had counseled the Ukrainian president on how to, quote, prepare for the phone call with President Trump. He also told Ambassador Taylor that he advised Zelensky that President Trump would like to hear about the investigations. In addition, to Ambassador Volker's direct outreach to President Zelensky, Ambassador Sondland continued to apply pressure as well during two White House meetings that took place on July 10th with Ukrainian officials. The first meeting included National Security Advisor John Bolton, Dr. Fiona Hill, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman. Secretary Rick Perry, Ambassador Volker, as well as Bolton's Ukrainian counterpart and Ukrainian presidential aide Andriy Yermak. After a discussion on Ukraine's national security reform plans, Ambassador Sonlin broached the subject of the phony political investigations. Fiona Hill who attended the meeting, recalled that Ambassador Sondland blurted out the following in that meeting with the Ukrainians. Well, we have an agreement with the chief of staff for a meeting if these investigations in the energy sector start. That's code for Burisma, which is code for the Bidens. Ambassador Volker also recalled that Ambassador Sondland raised the issue of the 2016 election and Burisma investigations. Ambassador Volker found Ambassador Sondland's comments in that meeting to be inappropriate.
4: I participated in the July 10th meeting between National Security Advisor Bolton and then Ukrainian Chairman of the National Security and Defense Council, Alex Daniliuk. As I remember, the meeting was essentially over when Ambassador Songlin made a general comment about investigations. I think all of us thought it was inappropriate.
0: The exchange underscores that by early July, President Trump's demands for investigations had come to totally dominate almost every aspect of US foreign policy toward Ukraine. Securing a Ukrainian commitment to do the investigations was a major priority of senior US diplomats as directed by President Donald John Trump. The July 10th meetings also confirmed that the scheme to pressure Ukraine into opening investigations was not a rogue operation but one blessed by senior administration officials at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. As Ambassador Sondland testified, everyone was in the loop. Mr. Majority Leader, based on uh, your statement that we should break at around 6.30, I ask your indulgence. This may be a natural breaking point in connection with my presentation. Thank you.
4: Mr. Majority Leader.
3: I consent that we have a break for 30 minutes.
4: Without objection, so ordered.